Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I was speaking to somebody, a representative of one of the um, of the largest photographic camera manufacturers um, in the world uh, earlier this week. And um, I suggested to him that one of the problems was that actually manufacturers and the, I suppose what we could describe as the establishment of photography, they've, um, they're not talking to us. They've lost contact with us. And when they do try and reach out, they end up talking at us and not with us. He agreed uh, and asked me whether or not I could help them with that. I'm not sure I can, but I'm certainly willing to try. The reason I'm telling you that is it kind of fits into two things I've, I've kind of spotted over the last week or so. Um, I don't really want this podcast to be a, a news story led kind of a thing. But I think over the last couple of weeks, a few really big stories have broken. And um, I think they suggest other conversations. So therefore, um, there are a couple of more, couple more news stories this week. The first one um, concerns another camera manufacturer, this time Fujifilm. Uh, the, this, this is what I saw and this is what I'm going to read to you. Uh, days after it launched its new X100V compact digital camera, Fujifilm has pulled one of the promotional videos it published to showcase the new model. Some viewers have criticised the intrusive shooting style used by Tatsui Suzuki, the photographer featured in this particular video. Others have praised his work, saying his habit of jumping directly in front of subjects is a legitimate part of his art. Fuji's promotional video also includes several scenes of Suzuki as he captures images on the street, a process that at times involves stepping into someone's path and putting his camera directly in their face. Some subjects are seen being forced to quickly sidestep to avoid the photographer. Some look surprised or distressed about the encounter. They've now stopped working with Suzuki. But of course, what it instantly reminded me of was Bruce Gilden. Or perhaps Gary Winogrand. Or perhaps Ouija. Or Dougie Wallace, the UK-based photographer. Photographers who are working in a different way. And what it made me instantly think was, well, I'm not going to make a judgment on that way of working. I have to say, I love Gildan's um, early work, particularly Coney Island. I'm a big fan of Gary Winograd's work. I'm always interested by Ouija's work. I've really got no time for Dougie Wallace's work or Gildan's recent colour work. But that's subjective. And the reason for that, I suppose, is because I just feel as if it's kind of an easy trick to play and an easy trick is being played. That idea of making the ordinary grotesque. Let's get back to the Fuji thing. I think the problem is, is that Fuji misjudged their audience. They wanted to work with this photographer, presumably to reach a particular audience, but actually didn't recognise that the audience they already have didn't want to see that approach to photography. I saw something else the other day by uh, written. This was a tweet by Daniela Zalkman, a photographer and founder of At Women Photograph. She said this, somewhat bemused by this January BJP, British Journal of Photography piece, promoting their Female in Focus Award, which quotes and links to a piece that she wrote for Huck magazine in 2018. 
and uses a vertically, uh, sorry, virtually identical lead, uh, lead image that should be. I don't particularly care, uh, Daniela says, about the writing itself, but I do take issue with my words being used to promote a pay-to-play photography competition that purports to combat this legacy of inequality head-on with a $45 entry fee for stories. You're not combating inequality if you're also profiting off a group of underrepresented, excuse me, underrepresented uh, photographers in order to do it. And you're not certainly going to end up with a diverse final group of awardees if the barrier to entry is that high. Regular listeners to the podcast are going to be well aware that this is something I talk a lot about. This whole situation of pay to play and the uh, the cost of entry and magazines setting up these awards as revenue streams because the magazine isn't selling. So they're desperately running around trying to find other ways to make money. I think what it also does is shows a complete and utter disrespect for Daniela, her writing and her her work. Um, it shows a, a, a lack of understanding of the audience that they're speaking to. And it also shows a disrespect to a, a fellow magazine by ripping off their copy, which is what I presume Danielle is suggesting there. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that. I think what we're really talking about here is with the Fujifilm, with the BJP situation, we're talking about uh, brands, we're talking about uh, financially run situations, a magazine's got to make money, a publishing company's got to make money, Fuji's got to sell cameras. And unfortunately, what they don't seem to understand is their audience. They don't seem to be respectful in that rush to try and make as much money as possible and to promote their uh, initiatives. They're forgetting, as I said last week, that without us, without photographers, they don't have anything. And it's really got to be a lot more respectful. These people have got to move with us. It is not a question of us doing what they say. Maybe I'm hugely affected this week by what's going on in American politics, and I'm feeling rather strident in the need for us all to stand up and be um, be heard, to stand up and speak out, whilst others are trying to manipulate the way in which we perceive our medium. As I said, I'm feeling a little bit political. I don't know if you agree with me on this. You may think I'm going too far. You may think I'm saying the right thing. But what I'm, I'm absolutely certain about is in the importance of saying something. This week, I'm really uh, pleased to uh, welcome to the podcast a photographer who um, actually by the time this podcast comes out or around the time it comes out may have received some good news. Good news concerning the Deutsche Börse uh, exhibition and awards. Anyway, who is it? It's Anton Kusters. Anton was born in Belgium in 1974 and obtained a master's degree in political science at KU Leuven, Belgium. He studied photography at Stuck Leuven and at the Academy of Fine Arts in Hasselt, Belgium. Kusters has photographed, published and exhibited two major bodies of work, the Yakuza in 2011 and Mono No Aware in 2014. 
In 2017, he completed the online epistolary uh, hashtag image by image, an experimental public dialogue based on associations of image and word, fragment and concept, recontextualization and reflection. I got through it. In 2019, uh, he was nominated for the pre Tech, the word I always get wrong, and he's a finalist in the 2020 Deutsche Bors Photography Foundation Prize for his exhibition The Blue Skies Project in the Fitzrovia Chapel, London, which was curated and pr produced by his long-standing collaborator, Monica Allendi. An installation of The Blue Skies Project will be exhibited in 2019 2021 at the Holocaust uh, Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., and in 2020, a monograph on the work will be published. He is currently working on several installations and collaborations. Kaduta Masi uh, and On Your Shoulders We Stand. Anton was also the co-founder of Burn Magazine, an online platform dedicated to emerging photographers. He currently lives and works in Belgium and Tokyo. And I think it's about time after all of that, me staggering through that introduction that we hear from Anton about what photography means to him. What does photography mean to me? I'm aware of the double-edged way this question can be interpreted. I'm guessing that it's not about how I experience photography or look at photography as a as a consumer so to speak i mean i could go on about how deeply touched i am by looking at other artists work in the field of photography but i'm guessing that the question would be about how I, as a creator, see photography or how it, what it means to me as a creator, as an artist. And I think without delving into hashing or rehashing uh, my entire career and evolu evolution, I... I think there's one central thing, uh, and that is that a photographic process, a visual uh, representation, is the way I feel most comfortable communicating, expressing myself in this world. And I think that is at the core of everything. I I know that that might change in the future, that it won't be visual anymore, maybe, maybe not. Probably I will be using photographic processes all the way until I die. But at the same time, I am also comfortable with the fact that that might change in the future. And 
the comfort or the level of complexity of communicating what I want to say is most met by using photographic processes in my work. Uh, and as you can, have you noticed by now, I'm using the word photographic processes instead of photography because I do think the autonomous or the representative part of expression is becoming a key element uh, in my work where I am trying to explore the photographic process in light of that as opposed to what my earlier work would be uh, regarded as, as uh, uh, doc documentary which which is basically showing what I am seeing versus now I am representing and communicating what I am thinking and want to say which might seem small but to me has been a massive shift over the last years in understanding how I can make this happen and I hope I can continue going on that way but I would summarize things that way. I would say photography means to me the most comfortable way of representing things I want to talk about. Thank you, Anton, there for an incredibly um, considered response to the question. I think his response was almost like a, a series of haikus there. Uh, with such emphasis put on uh, separate elements, kind of that situation. I suppose I talk so fast because um, <laughs> I want to try and get so much kind of information into this very short space of time. But it was great there to hear Anton really taking his time, really thinking about every word um, that he was saying and the importance of, of that. And it's really interesting for me how when we listen back to these photographers, and I really hope, and while I know that many of you are sort of picking up on one or two podcasts and then going back through the archive and perhaps listening to a lot of photographers either who it's work you don't understand, you weren't aware of, um, and realising, I suppose, you know, this idea of the photographer's surface but so many of the photographers, as I said last week with um, Julia Fullerton-Batten, are going really deep when, when answering what is in effect such a simple question. But it really does draw about um, a situation of, of self-reflection. And I know for some photographers, um, self-doubt as well. And as we all know, you know, photography and self-doubt absolutely go hand in hand so just really good luck uh, to Anton um, with the Deutsche Bors there um, I hope he does well he's done well to be shortlisted so that's an achievement in itself um, other stuff that's been going on in the last week um, one of the things I was reminded of and 
as I say, I don't want this to be too self-reverential as a podcast or too much of a news-led podcast, but I was reminded of, of a time when I was at school where I had done lots of kind of jobs in my spare time to save up enough, save up enough money in my early teens to buy myself a very good hi-fi kind of separates. In those days, you bought a system or separates. System was a whole load of components made by one manufacturer. Obviously, the uh, separates was about going around and getting the best speakers, the best turntable and the best amplifier that you could buy from different manufacturers. That's what I did. What I then did at school was I went around and I asked everybody what albums they owned. I wrote up a list and I started a little business whereby uh, anybody could have a cassette of an album for the price of the cassette that they would supply. And I used to charge them a pound to actually record that album. I'd sit at home, play the album through, record it, lift up the needle, turn it over and so forth. Why I was reminded of that was because of this idea of actually getting things together, forming communities and sharing information. I know in what in those days what I was doing was piracy, and um, but I'm sure that it didn't affect the income of too many 70s and 80s pop stars who were doing incredibly well. But the idea that was uh, that came back to me was this idea of doing it yourself, reaching out to different people, putting a grouping together, a community together, and sharing knowledge. Because I think in a way, that's what I was kind of trying to do in a slightly capitalist way. And that is where I want to leave it with this week, is that if you are in a situation that you feel you've got something to say, or you want to reach out to people, I fully encourage people to do it. Put on a day of talks, go out and curate it, put together a little event, put together an exhibition, feel as if we are actually a community, even if that's on a micro scale. Show the people in the brands, show the people in uh, the traditional setups that we can do it on our own because we can. And I think that's really important. I started off talking about uh, this brand I spoke to this week and the person had listened to this podcast and they were really impressed by the podcast. And I said, yeah, do you know what? I do it in a shed, but just with one microphone plugged into my laptop. That's really the future. It's a DIY, you can do it approach. A bit like forming a punk band. All you need is a few chords and the desire to do it. And if you want to set up a community, that's the same kind of spirit that's required in these perhaps dark times. When times get dark, you will know what to do. I say it every week. Take care. <laughs>